Warning. This is a horror podcast and unsettling by design. If certain topics may present a harmful trigger for you, we urge you to check the show notes before proceeding. Hello again, and welcome to Dead North, October 2021, Act 2. I'm still Sean Dillon of Oncoming Productions, your host. If you missed Act 1, it has three pieces you don't want to miss, so give it a listen when you finish up here. But for now, stick around. You don't want to miss these either. Anyhow, let's get right down to business. The dog walking business. Walkies by Paper Soul. Testing. Testing. Okay, looks like it's going. The little bars are jumping up and down, so that's good. Come on, you two. Yeah, let's go for a walk. Let's go for an adventure. Good dogs. Okay, here we go. Scotty, you were right. I know you've been waiting to hear that, so here you go. You were right. The audio was all messed up on the video I took yesterday. Trying to do both audio and video just didn't work. My phone was bumping against my clothes and all wrestling and shit and catching the wind. It's just a mess. So I'm just going to re-record the narration today on this headset, and we can sync it up to the video later before we upload. Me and the gals have been taking the same route all summer, so we'll see all the same stuff we saw yesterday. No worries. Good girls, come on. What are you looking at, huh? See a squirrel? I don't see anything. Two, three, four. Come on, let's go. All right, watch the glass around that car. Hey, someone got robbed last night? Yeesh. All right, come on, come on. Okay. <clears throat> What's up, dogs? It's your boy, it's your good boy, Fido. That's lame. Let me try that again. Hey, hey, everybody. It's your boy, Fido. Remember to paw that like and subscribe. Got a special video for you today using actual dogs I walk to give you some tips I learned since having to turn professional dog walker. Thanks, pandemic. Now, remember, I'm not a pro. I didn't, like, research this stuff. This is just what I found that's helped me. Because sometimes you find yourself walking two dogs that can yank you off your feet. And you gotta know how to handle them. You know? Come on, you two. Good girls. What are you looking at? Got a rabbit? A cat? Huh? There's nothing there. All right, come on, let's go. Good pups. So first off, you can see here, this is Hera and Diane. They're super good girls. Yes, you are. You know I'm talking about you. Such good girls, but don't be fooled. They look like black labs, but they got mixed in with this, get this, Great Dane. So while they look like regular black labs and they step on your toe, oh, owie. What I'm getting at is that they can really pull, so it's always important to pay attention to them. And I've said this before, that goes for all walkies. You gotta make sure the dogs to get your full attention. You're not distracted with your own shit or on your phone or... Scotty, can you double-check the levels make sure this is sounding okay? How was I? So yeah, these two can really pull. Now, I've been taking these two on walkies for a couple of months now every day. I just let myself in the house when I drive over from St. Paul. Some days I don't even see the owners, like today. The girls were just waiting for me by the door. Real antsy, too. Really, like, raring to go, weren't you? Oh, yeah, should I mention we're up in Fridley, uh, just a few blocks off the university. You can hear it in the background there, but this little neighborhood here doesn't have many sidewalks, so we have no walkies on the street. Normally I would recommend <clears throat> Normally I'd recommend sticking to the sidewalks, but you gotta do what you gotta do. It's just not so bad. This is a quiet little neighborhood. Just folks out on their porches or on mowing their lawns. Oh suburbia. <laughs> Sometimes you'll even see cars just parked there on the street with the engine running and people smoking a joint or something inside. Hey, whatever, man. Live your life. Now, Scotty, cut that last part. We don't need to advertise people's recreational use. 
Where was I? So yeah, I've been having walkies every day. And this is just an exercise walkie. These two have a big backyard they use for potty. This is just to tire them out so they're not such a handful for their owners while they work from home all day. Because you can see, they got a lot of energy. Well, you can see that in the video. Uh, today they're not so energetic. All right, come on, you two. Why do you keep stopping? I don't see anything. Two, three, four. Come on. So yeah, just exercise walkies. Of course, I always recommend keeping extra poop baggies in your pocket because you never know, right? Diane, I'm looking at you, you poop ninja. Leave that in, Scotty. I know I showed off the baggies yesterday. Anyway, we're gonna be turning left at this intersection up here. Turning right by our pal, Scooter! I don't know if his name's Scooter. He just likes to come running out and barking at us by the fence. And I like to say, whoop, Scooter's on his shit! His harm was just territorial. <laughs> this one time he was barking at us, and then he just snatched up his toy he had on the ground, and he just kept trying to bark with a toy in his mouth, and it was all like, squeak, squeak, Scotty, cut that part, I sound dumb. Then we turn before the road dead ends. Stop out and visit our friends, this real cute old couple that sits in their garage and have a big bowl of water out for passing dogs, and walk the three-ish blocks back home, stopping off at this little park about halfway. We pass by this house that says, Beware of dog. You know what the house next door says? Beware of the dog. That cracks me up. <laughs> Which sign do you guys prefer? Put it in the comments below. Jeez, what's with you two? You're really making me look bad. The thing I'm not taking the video today. Would you two come on? What? Scooter's on his shit! Yeah, there he is. Always comes running out and barking, huh? But you two, you just ignore him. You're such good girls. What are you even looking at? Man, he sounds agitated. More agitated than usual. Scooter's really on his shit today. Yeah, come on, come on, let's uh, let's keep moving. <clears throat> Scotty, sorry I'm straining a lot. These two are just walking only well, a few steps before me and stopping and looking off in the distance and come on. I don't know, maybe the weather's changing is causing a bunch of squirrels or rabbits to run around and I'm just not seeing it. Is that a thing? Sounds legit. Should I mention that? I'll mention that. So you want to be careful to keep your pup's attention before the fall because with the weather changing, a lot of squirrels and rabbits and whatnot are out more than usual getting ready for winter. So your pups may seem a bit more distracted than usual than you're used to, you know? And you want to be ready in case they jump or pull. Oh, I know what I should add! Dogs can see and hear things we can't, you know? So even if you can't see what they're looking at, it's a pretty good bet we're just, uh, not looking close enough. Hera, come on! This is gonna take forever today! Gotta try and focus, get all this done so we can upload tonight! Sheesh! Now as we're moving into the field here, you can see that I've got their leashes and I've got the loop on my wrist, but I'm gripping the leash between my thumb and forefinger. I found just holding the leash by the loop doesn't give enough control and can catch you off guard if they jump at something. So I like to think of the loop on the leash as like an e-brake on a car, like a last resort thing. This way I can use my hands to pull back on the leash and they respond to it a lot better. I can also wrap my hand a few times around the leash if the car starts coming or to pull a bit harder if these two hair off. Come on! Two, three, four. Let's go! 
You know, walking on the street, like I said before, occasionally we gotta get out of the way of cars. You'll see that in the video, Scotty. I constantly look behind us to see if a car's coming, and I just hop into the curb with the pups and have to sit and wait for the car to pass. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you'll see it in the video. I haven't seen any today yet. But we're just passing another one on the curb with a broken window. Yeesh, guess somebody went on a bit of a spree last night. Scotty, cut that too. And remind me to try and cut parts of the video that have a lot of litter. Sometimes this field has a lot of trash in it. We just don't need to show that. Or should I comment on that? Oh, I should comment on that. <clears throat> Walking through this field, you'll notice there's a bit of litter around. Looks like some folks park with their lunch and just chuck it out the window when they're done. Or maybe when they have the munchies or... Sorry, Scotty. Autumn and all these leaves means that sometimes litter can get covered up. But remember what I said about dogs being able to see things you can't? Well, in this case, it's more like smelling. <laughs> but you get it. Just be aware, you might have to give them a harder tug and affirm, leave it, if they dig up a Mickey D's bag. That goes for critter corpses, too. Pups always find critter corpses before you. It's a real shame this field gets so much trash thrown in it. The apartment next to it isn't much better. One time, we passed a busted guitar just sitting in the grass here for a few days. Oh, Scotty, get this! The super or whatever just left his lawnmower out in the middle of the lawn. He's only, like, half done. Most of the grass is super long, and there's this lawnmower just sitting there. <laughs> nice job, dude! All right, come on, let's not buy and see our friends in the garage. Door is up, yeah, they got the water bowl out and their chairs. I don't see them sitting, though. Hello? Hello? Well, no treats today, I guess. Hey, Scotty, I think we should keep that bit in the video, though, from yesterday when they were here. It's a real heartwarming thing to see, you know, cute old people with their dogs. Plus, it shows me having good control of them, because they're not jumping or parking or anything. Come on, you two. Scotty, I've already forgotten what else to talk about. Maybe we should hold off on the upload for a day and double-check the video tonight, and I can try to record again tomorrow. I'm just not remembering to talk about stuff like cars coming, or dogs seeing a cat, or other dogs if we're not seeing. That's weird. Have we seen anybody else this whole walk? What? What are you two looking at? I still don't see anything. I wish I did. You know what? I'm going to take us down by university where I know there are people, and go back to the house that way. I know I'm probably... But the way these two are acting, and the fact that we haven't seen anything else, is freaking me out! Wait, we saw Scooter, didn't we? Yeah! Scooter was on his shit! Alright, maybe I'm just paranoid. Alright, come on, you two. Come on! Either way, let's just head home! Come on! Okay, finally! Here's a car with the engine running. Jeez, it's about time we see somebody out here. Let me tell you, it's been pretty creepy not seeing anybody out here, but, uh... Oh my god. There's glass. Everywhere. The, uh, Jesus, the windshield is shattered. It's shattered outward, and there's nobody in the car. God, every window is blown out on this thing, but the engine, the engine is still running, with nobody inside. Okay, fuck this, fuck this. Come on, you two, we gotta get back to the house. Come on! Hera, Diane! Come on! Damn it! There's nothing there! God, they're all tangled up. Let me just wait. Fuck! Fuck! Hera! Fuck! Hera! Hera, come on! Diane, come on! Hera! 
Oh fuck. Oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, fuck. Hera! Hera! Where are you? Oh my god, it's her leash. Scotty, we're in that little park and I just found her leash and her harness, but she's not here. The harness... The harness isn't even broken. It's still clipped together. It's... It's it's like she just vanished. Holy shit. I'm just noticing there's there's a picnic basket and half-eaten food and toys on the grass, but there's 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 nobody here. There's nobody here. Diane? Hey, 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 it's okay, girl. What are you looking at, huh? I don't see anything. There's nothing there. There's nothing. This has been Walkies by Paper Soul, written by Jane Merrill Motes, performed by Logan Rogers. Outro music by Churley Kachurley from the Free Music Archive. Special thanks to Katie Shea and Mike Heckman for letting me walk their two awesome pups, Helen and Freya. Assumptions get a bit of a bad rap. But the fact is, we cannot move through the world without assumptions. It would be debilitating. We need to assume that gravity will keep working. We need to assume money will have value. We need to assume that the world will continue to work the way the world works. And that's the horror here. That maybe we can't depend on those fundamental assumptions. It happens that I lived in Manhattan on September 11th, 2001. I was a college student and a late sleeper. So when I got up that day, there were two skyscrapers missing. Later, I would fully appreciate the horror of the, the suffering and the lives lost. And even later than that, the horror of fear transforming people into monsters. But in that moment, waking up on the 11th, I experienced the existential horror of buildings just disappearing. And alongside my entire city, my sense of security and all my assumptions was shaken to its core. That is the horror here. Presented in a more creeping ground view way, but no less horrifying for it. People don't just disappear until that's exactly what they do. Next up, a piece coming from inside the house. Oncoming Productions audio drama, Bear Sausage, written and produced by Sean Dillon. not hungry? Hey. Jerkwad. Tommy!
Oh, you're talking to me now. Yeah, of course. What's your problem? What's my... Never mind. So, this is... Bear sausage. Patties. Bear sausage. Right. What else would it be? I, uh... No, I don't know. I'm just... It's a lot to take in. So... Go ahead. Try it. Uh... Nah. You'll like it. You want to put money on that? Nah. Really? (laughs) First time for everything. I mean... Maybe not. Never know if you don't try, right? Like mom always said. How is it? Hmm. It's not bad, actually. Stench? I mean, there's this apex predator meat, no question. Like, like meaty, but more so. It's like mega meaty. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on, Tommy. Man it up. Just a bite. That won't kill you, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you weren't... Uh, no. N- no, thank you, Jake. Not hungry. Listen, if you don't help me with this, we're never going to get through all the meat before we're expected back next week. So? So? Are you trying to get me arrested? Hunting bear isn't exactly legal. Well, you didn't really hunt anything. You hit hit it with with the the car. car. I know. You think the cops are going to care how it happened? Probably not. Now that you've chopped it up, cooked it, and started eating it. Right. Anyway, there's only enough uh, other food in the cupboards for one person for the week. So unless you do want to take up hunting, Mr. Nature Lover, I suggest you learn to love bear. There's plenty of food. If you say so. The hell? I imagine that's the cops coming for your bear sausage. (laughs) Shut up. You were thinking it. The way you jumped up from the table. Okay, yeah, I'm a little chumpy. Can you blame me? No, I sure can't. Anyhow. I didn't sound anything like police. Did it? Guess not. Hmm. Maybe it's a Wendigo. Huh? You know, a Wendigo. I have no idea what you're saying. You live in Duluth. You have no idea about Wendigo? Okay, well, it's an Algonquin thing, and I'm a white dude from Richfield, so I'm not going to do this justice, but it's a monster that lives in the woods. Oh, like Bigfoot. Oh, no, 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 no. 
Bigfoot is downright cuddly next to this thing. How's that? Well, some versions, they're this giant, emaciated creature with long arms, bloody, ragged mouths, and sunken red eyes. The smell of rot rolling off them, icy cold to the touch. Jesus. Yeah. Other versions, they just look like a person. Maybe a little pale, a little ragged. So, they look like demons from the bowels of hell, or they just look like a homeless guy. I guess, yeah. But that's not what makes them scary. The thing with Wendigos is that they're hungry. Eternally, insatiably hungry. No matter how much they eat or how often, they never get any less hungry. In fact, some stories have it that whenever they eat, they just grow by the very same amount. So they are never full, never satisfied, just bigger. And what do they eat? Isn't that obvious? People. They eat people. Anyone dumb enough to cross their paths up here in the North Woods. And it's said that these Wendigo come into being when... You know what? That's enough. It's creepy. Yeah. Why would you even tell me a story like that? I'm trying to eat. Well, suddenly the idea of cops doesn't seem anywhere near so scary, does it? Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. Ah, uh, you weirdo. You're nervous. Huh? You only laugh like that when you're nervous. <laughs> what? Always have. Last time I heard you laugh like that, we were at the clinic waiting for your STI screening to come back. Which was clean. Not for lack of trying. (laughs) Whatever. I'm not nervous. What do I have to be nervous about? It isn't like the bear's wife called 911 to report vehicular homicide. There's no way anyone would ever even know. Unless for some strange reason the cops come all the way out here to our private family cabin just outside the Boundary Waters and go digging out back for bones, which... They won't. Why would they? You're not going to tell them. My lips are sealed. And I'm not going to tell them. So... There you go. No reason to be nervous. (sighs) No reason at all. Nope. I wish you could be a little more self-honest, Jake. That was always the thing with you. You're a fantasist. You spent too much time in therapy. Yeah, you always said. Still. I'm done lying to myself. Are you? Of course. 
So are we at that point then? Which point? The point you admit we cannot be having this conversation. You want some dessert? I think Mom left some frosted mini wheats in the pantry. Jake. No. Oh, just. Fuck you. No, not right now. This isn't healthy. What you're doing. Listen, I more than anyone wish we could talk about this. Fuck. But we can't. No. And why? Because you weren't there. You weren't in the car when I hit the bear. That's... Ugh. You're so close. I mean, you're right. I wasn't in the car. No. Where was I, Jake? Uh, I don't know. Already here, I guess. Eh. Try again. In your car, then. Do I have a car? Sure, you, uh... Mm, Take a second. No. And why is that? Because you sold it. Now we're getting somewhere. Go on. To get money. That is why people sell things. But money for what? To buy me out. Of my share. Of mom's house. Okay, you do remember. Of course I remember. So you remember how mom died? Diabetes. I mean, technically, yeah. It was diabetes. Jake, she died of diabetic shock because she couldn't find a needle because someone fucking stole her insulin for gambling money. Fuck you. Nobody, fuck you. Remember how I know that? Because you told me on the car ride up here in your car. I'm done talking about this. Okay. Okay. Just giving you shit. Never mind. What do you want to talk about? The meat? can't have been easy hand cranking that much sausage no <laughs> my arms are pretty sore yeah I'll bet how big was that bear again 300 350 pounds no maybe half that really 175 pound bear oh, that's just a scrawny little thing I guess. Hardly more than a cub. Probably had its whole life ahead of it. Think of everything that bear had to look forward to. So, you probably only got 20, 30 pounds of sausage then altogether? Yeah, sounds right. Still, that's a lot for one guy to get through. That's why I need your help. I'm not going to eat it. You know that. 
Guess I do. Jesus Christ! What the fuck is that? Almost here, Jake. Last chance. Last chance at what? Honesty. Before the things out there swallow you whole. You know what? I don't have time for this. Sure you do. It might be the only thing you have time for. Come on, stop it. Whatever that is, we need to get in the car and go. I'm not going anywhere. Why not? Because you buried me really well. Honestly, kudos. They'll never find me. What are you? Well, except the bits embedded in your front bumper and whatever you left in the kitchen and the road stain four miles off Highway 53. No. No! To be fair, I did threaten to turn you in about Mom. Shut up! And I did insist on getting out and walking. Stop! And you were in the grips of a manic episode. Therapy might have helped with that, BT dubs. Tommy, come on. I'm not saying I would have done the same thing in your shoes, but I can't swear I wouldn't. I wish I could forgive you. But I'm not even here. They are. That was Bear Sausage, written and produced by me, Sean Dillon, and performed by Jay Kistler and Justin Betancourt. Thanks a bunch, guys. Since... I wrote this one. I figure I have both more and less insight into its meaning than anyone else, so I'll steer clear of that and talk about its strange origins. Bear Sausage started its life as a scene in an improv show. When folks think of improv, they tend to think of whose line is it anyway, a, a show made up of a, a series of funny games. But this was not that. This was scenic improv in which a whole play gets spun out of a single audience suggestion. As with any improv show, the pieces were assembled one at a time on the fly. I was being forced to eat something. By my brother. In a cabin. It was bear sausage. It continued in that vein until a big reveal that changed everything. My character wasn't actually there. From there, everything unraveled more or less the way it does in the play with each bit of the earlier story fitting itself around that new fact. And we were every bit as surprised by it in the moment as I hope you were, listening to it now. Either way, we'll move on to our final selection of Act Two, Calamar by Alice Page. Calamar by Alice Page. Grief is a thing with teeth. There, see the face of someone you loved once. Imagine their eyes coming to rest on you, a smile spreading in the warm glow of familiarity. Or perhaps it is the shape of their lips caught in the warped reflection of a parting glass. You can feel it, can't you? It was the night of the 27th of November, 1905, aboard the SS Matafa where I had taken a sailor's post at the age of 25, loading ore onto the cargo holds of the long steamship. The captain, 
offered me a good wage for two weeks of work sailing the Great Lakes and giving him my all in all as a deckhand. He acted as a kind man, not the usual rough and tumble willing to underpay and underfeed a crew. And as a woman dressed in men's garb, who was I to say no to a good wage? Yes, at that time I was dressing in trousers and shirts and jackets. My jawline was strong enough and cutting my hair short finished the facade. It's said that it's bad luck to have a woman aboard a ship, but that is not a belief my father ascribed to. He was always willing to take me out of Duluth on his small sailing vessel to teach me the skills of his old hand sliding along the rigging and pulling it this way and that to send the ship skillfully cutting through, under, and around great waves. Before my old man died, he left me a love for the salt and swell. So when grief nestled in under my breastbone, I went looking for work that would pull me far away from this godforsaken port city with its terrible beauties. On the 27th, we, me and the men, finished loading the oar while sweat stained the inside of the heavy wool coats we wore to keep the growing winter chill out. From our position on the deck, where we laughed at some raunchy joke one of the men spat out between quick pulls off a flask, we heard the captain and the navigator get into a bit of a spat. The captain was ready to set the ship out on Lake Superior. As the smaller barge we were towing was hitched into place, the oar was loaded and the weather seemed in our favor. The navigator disagreed though saying something or another about the color of the sky and the clouds on the horizon. But the captain refused his request to delay our journey by a day and instead commanded us to prepare to move, full steam ahead and all that. How I wish I had listened to the navigator. How I wish I would have turned back to run along the docks and grip my grief tightly with both hands instead of fleeing into the waiting mouth of that storm. We had then set out along Lake Superior, and within an hour learned what a mistake the captain had made. The waves flew above our heads and buffeted the Matafa and our barge in tow, the James Nesmith. And then the blizzard set in, dropping our visibility to below nothing as snow joined in with the hurried violence of the water. The captain did what any man who thinks himself great would do. He waged war with the storm, cutting the ship this way and that through the waves, nearly killing many of us clinging to the deck of the ship in the process of playing Ahab. By the time he realized the storm would not abate to his will, I was only half conscious, nearly ready to slide from the surface of the deck and under the churning waves below. Johnny, one of the younger men who the crew always teased for his prettiness, crawled over to me as the nose of the ship was sent flying upwards, and he clung to me with all his might, keeping me in place. He gave me a queer look as my jacket slipped open to reveal my thin undershirt, which did little to hide my breast. But he chose to say nothing in this moment of revelation. Bless John, wherever his corpse may lie. At that point, the captain cut the James Nesmith to stop it from sinking us, and the barge was sucked under the water with a disturbing quickness. Even with the wind in my ears and the freezing waves crashing around me, I heard the screaming of metal as the barge was twisted into horrid new shapes. 
valiant effort did nothing for the Matafa, though, as the storm only intensified its assault, bucking the ship, threatening to send it end over end. The captain ordered the Matafa turned about to make for the port of Duluth once more. The engine strained against the currents as the ship made its hasty retreat. For a moment, it appeared the captain's choice would save the lot of us. But that was before we realized the storm was moving along with us. It was also headed for Duluth and had no mercy to hand us. As we moved, so did the storm, meaning we were never able to escape its long shadow and cold probing fingers. Finally, only a handful of miles from port, the ship, which had given a valiant effort, gave into the storm as that screaming of metal rang out once more, and the midsection of the ship crumpled under the assault of half-frozen waves. Johnny and I gripped each other in the railing of the ship as our section of the deck tipped over into the waiting teeth of the storm of the lake. Johnny's scream is the last thing I remember for a time. My consciousness fled at the touch of the hypothermia-inducing water. I have imagined Johnny's horrid death a thousand times and can only hope that it was quick. He deserved that mercy. The scream that haunts the memory of that moment suggests otherwise, though. Later, I came to on the shore of a small island while the storm raged out on the vast expanse of Lake Superior behind me, and I quickly discovered that the sky had plunged into darkness. In the distance, even in the pitch-black night, I could make out wreckage sent splintering between the waves and smoke pouring from drowning engines. I stood there in the knee-high snow with my soaked jacket flapping about me, and imagined hundreds of men spread out on the lake, screaming for help that would never come. Though, looking back, it was odd that I alone woke on the island with none of the other Matafa crew following, not even Johnny, who had been clinging to me in those final moments. And there was another oddity. The snow nearby was stained a fresh red under the corpse of a snowshoe hare. Two long red slashes marked the side of the hare's body. Unfortunately, I did not have time to ponder that, though. My clothes had soaked through, and I was likely to freeze to death if I stood on the beach for much longer. So, I turned towards the center of the island to search for shelter. Without shelter and fire, surely I was set to die. But that is when I came upon something truly out of place, more so than the dead hair or my miraculous travel to the beach. Standing not far beyond the tree line and the mound of snow I had trudged through was a small wooden cabin with smoke billowing from a brick chimney on the roof and candlelight flickering from just behind the curtained windows. I did not have time to question why there was a cabin out here on this small island or how anyone could live here or how this lonely cabin related to my surviving a shipwreck. I simply knew that my limbs had begun to grow numb. I knocked on the door, not able to feel the rattle of my knuckles, which had turned a frightening shade of blue. I stood there, shivering, water dripping from my open coat and dirty undershirt with the wind howling around me. What a sight I must have been, 
when that fateful woman opened the door. Her hair was a flowing mess of ginger curls, haloed by the candlelight shining from behind her. Her face was pale, smooth, flawless like a doll's visage, and her lips were perfect, plump arches. She was dressed in a simple white nightgown that clung to the shape of her body. My heart skipped a beat when she smiled at me. Hello there. Can I help you? She asked as her dark eyes swept over me. It took me a moment to regain my composure and inform her that I was a sailor from the SS Matafa that had shipwrecked on the lake, and I was in search of shelter from the storm if she could be kind enough to provide it. I was prepared to beg for hospitality, but she simply smiled, commented on my appearance being strange for that of a sailor. I noticed her gaze had dropped to my chest, and then she pulled the door aside to allow me passage into her home. I quickly removed my jacket, my boots, my trousers, and sat in front of the blazing fireplace, my body growing less stiff in the warm glow, and my modesty gone in the desperation for heat. I did not care if my host realized my womanhood. As far as I could tell, she was alone out here on this island and was in no position to inform my captain. Not that I had a captain any longer. I pushed the image of men drowning from mind and instead appreciated the cozy cabin surrounding me with its wooden tables and pelt-covered couches. After a moment of desperately warming myself, the woman made her introduction her eyes lingering unscrupulously on my exposed legs. Welcome to my humble home. I am Calamar. I hunted recently. Will you sup with me? A woman who hunts, I asked. She was quick to retort, a woman who sails. Her and I shared a look in that moment that I still cannot put a name to. Something akin to knowing, captured in the reflection of her dark irises. We knew each other. And so, what could I do but accept her invitation to sup? We took venison and ale in front of the fireplace, as I was still in no condition to move from the safety of its warmth. For the most part, Calamar watched me eat. Her feet rested on the rug next to me. Her closeness, it was intoxicating. I noticed she had not touched her plate of food, though, setting it instead on the floor beside her. Occasionally, she shifted, adjusted her gaze, and the candlelight around us would flicker and dim with her movement. That was when her tone grew more serious. You have come on a terrible night, I am afraid. But I am happy for your company. Grateful for it. If you were another one of those sailors, I would not be so ready to accept you into my home. I would have been alone. Around a thick bite of venison, I had to ask what she meant by that, as it was too curious to pass by without question. She explained with a sad smile. I do not wish for male company tonight. I chuckled and had to clarify that I meant to ask why the night was terrible as I did not want to think too much about the heat that grew in my cheeks, even if I could not keep myself from glancing at her soft lips. Her presence set my head spinning, and I was scarcely able to focus on any of the tragedy I had experienced this night. Looking back, so much of that cabin now exists in a haze of memory and heat. Oh, 
she finally responded. Tonight, I shall pass from this world and have little choice in the matter. And that is when something in the distance, perhaps a wolf or an elk, screamed and whimpered a sound like death ripping it in two. We both sat and listened to the horrid sound while the taste of venison turned to ash in my mouth and the warmth of the fireplace suddenly seemed inadequate. After that moment of listening together, she looked at me and said, It is coming. What is it? I demanded of her, feeling suddenly as if I had jumped from the deck of the Matafa and into the path of some worse horror. And how could this fair and fine woman, who was twice the woman as I, be destined for death? Nothing you would understand, she responded. The cabin's light continued to dim as her gaze fell away from me. In this world, some of us are set on paths of inevitable violence. I thought back to the grief curled beneath my breastbone and the horrors Duluth had left me with, and I knew she was right. But why did this woman who I had just met need to die? Everything about the cabin saying of softness, comfort, and quiet isolation. And the corners of the room were stacks of books and handfuls of small paintings, portraits of noble-looking individuals and far-off lands. The couches and seats were covered in carefully placed pelts and hand-knitted blankets. It was a place of isolation, but that isolation was not a prison or a cage. Before I was able to formulate a response, there was a heavy knock on the door that shook the entire cabin. I pushed my plate to the side and looked at Calamar for guidance, but she simply stared at the door with those captivating eyes of hers. After a moment, she stood and made her way to the threshold. I wanted to reach out and stop her. Something in my gut told me that whatever was knocking to demand entrance was horrible, unnatural, and it would surely be the end of us both. There was a short conversation had through the cracked open door between my host and some masculine voice out in the storm, and I could only make out some language that sounded foreign. Looking back, Perhaps it was German or Scandinavian or another one of those European languages. The candles around the cabin nearly snuffed out. Their flames burned low in their waxen cradles. Calamar closed the door at the end of the conversation and joined me back in front of the fireplace where I had brought my legs under me, ready to leap into action if my hostess required my aid. I had settled on defending her from the horrors of the night. She looked at me like a woman admiring a painting before burning it, erasing it from the scope of history. I saw flames dance across her eyes and canvas and paint boil and curl inwards. But whatever she contemplated in that moment, it quickly passed, and she instead opted for a conversation between us. We have a few moments but he will not wait forever, she told me. I asked who he was and what he would not wait for. She raised a hand to my cheek and stroked my face with her thumb. Her skin was colder than the blizzard raging outside, but was somehow also unbelievably soft. Then, with a sense of finality, she said, 
He is everything I have been running from, and he has come to collect on the life I have lived that is ultimately owed to him. He is monster and God. I quickly pushed my lips against the coolness of her palm and demanded to know why, why we cannot defy God. This seemed to amuse her, so I asked again. Passion and grief burned in my heart, and then I demanded of her why we cannot at least try to defy God and monsters if they are so damn determined to take from us. Should we not try to strip them even of a handful of their divinity on our way out? Is that not the strength of spite and its ability to change the world? Should we not believe in the holiness of revenge? And in that moment, I thought of Duluth and what all the world had taken from me and from the poor like me, from the men drowning in Lake Superior with their flasks of whiskey settled against the sediment of the lake bed. And I kissed her palm with a fiery intensity, demanding that she stay, stay with me, forget the men demanding our lives and our blood and keep this cabin with me. And Calamar simply stroked my face with her thumb, her long nail scraped against the softness of my cheek underneath my eye. And then she stood and walked to the door. Her voice was steady, but tinged by some unrecognizable emotion. Perhaps you are right, my sailor. I thank you this night for your company. And that was it. No grand declaration of a change of heart or of the love taking her, but a simple thank you that I still pour over nightly. There was something in it different from her previous fatalistic declarations. Her dark eyes gleamed. And then she opened the door and walked out into the snow before I could say anything or demand her to stop and return to our place in front of the hearth. She had gone out there in her nightgown and I was terrified she would freeze to death or whatever creature had knocked on her door would find her and take what she claimed it was owed. I jumped to my feet and grabbed one of the pelts from the couches, my boots and my trousers but my jacket had warmed, but had not dried entirely, so I had to leave it behind. I wrapped a pelt around myself and stumbled out into the snow without hesitation for the freezing embrace of the blizzard. I needed to find her. It was difficult to see in the darkness, and the blizzard threatened to turn me around several times. But Calamar left a track in the snow, and I persevered. I could make out the shapes of footprints where the snow was thin, and then knee-high gaps in the snow where it was thickest. And she had blazed forward in that nightgown. Suddenly, in the distance, I heard what could only be described as two animals screeching at each other, fighting for blood, screaming. It came in great waves and was then followed by the sound of tearing. If someone saner was in my place, they may have halted turned around and made for the safety of the cabin. But I did not. I was determined to find my hostess and pull her away from this death out here in the snow and perhaps even away from this island. I frantically increased my pace and followed the animalistic sounds in the distance and the tracks left in the snow. And finally, rounded a grouping of trees and came upon Calamar at which point I felt a stab of ice through my heart. 
She was crouched low in the snow, her nightgown and her ginger hair a mess about her, and her eyes glowed like a coyote's or a wolf's in the darkness. Her mouth hung open, and I could make out the glint of wickedly pointed fangs peeking from the corners of her soft lips. Clasped in her fist was the crumpled body of a man with midnight dark hair and pale skin. He was wearing fine clothes and brilliant golden embroidery about his cape and vest. I could see blood splattered in the snow around Calamar, and it coated her hands, her mouth, her nightgown, and her thighs. She was covered in the stuff, and it was such a stark image struck against the winter landscape. And in that moment, I understood that what I wanted, I could not have. There was too much death in the air. And while I had provided company, I cannot be what she wanted. The distance between what we were was too much, but still too close. Her head twisted towards me, her fangs still bared, but she did not move. I raised a hand sheepishly into the air towards her. After a moment, she mirrored the motion, and we had between us a private kind of understanding. Again, we knew each other. And then I turned and fled the island as quickly as I could. It was no longer a place for me, for us. The section of Lake Superior I was on was a grouping of islands, and jumping between them was not too much of a feat. I made it to the closest of the islands to the Duluth shore and slept the night in a shallow cave. Then, in the following day, when the lake had warmed in the sunlight, I flagged down one of the numerous ships fishing the corpses of boats and men out of the lake, and it soon after sailed back to Duluth. It took me weeks to fight off the sickness and pain that came with my time exposed to the elements, but eventually I did make my recovery. And when I had finally recovered, I chartered a small sailing vessel to take me back out to the island and look for signs of Calamar. But the island was empty, except for the remnants of the cabin's foundation, which had been nearly ripped up. She was gone. I have sailed the Great Lakes many times since looking for her, and up and down the Mississippi asking after her, but none have reported seeing her. I take solace, though, in the pelt I took from her home, and knowing that there was no sign of my jacket's destruction or abandonment on that small island on Lake Superior. We have kept remnants of each other. Sometimes I still wake in a cold sweat. The image of her animalistic form crouched over the corpse of that man, staining my sheets. On those nights, I can almost still feel her soft palm against my cheek. And sometimes, on those nights, I find a gentle scratch on the soft flesh of my cheek beneath my eye. That was Calamar, written and performed by Alice Page, with production assistance by yours truly. Alice is a trans woman poet, and storyteller living in St. Paul, Minnesota. 
She is a digital pedagogical lab fellow with an MFA in creative writing from Hamlin University, and her writing focuses on topics like mythology and the transformative power of queer love. Her work can be found and enjoyed in a number of poetry and fiction publications listed in the show notes. Sometimes, when our normalcy encounters the extraordinary, it gets stretched like a sweater that never goes back to shape. This is Frodo returning to the Shire, the Doctor's companions retired from life on the TARDIS, astronauts seeing the Earth from afar the first time, even soldiers returning from war, and this story. A woman already disguising the complexity of who she is, maybe even from herself, encounters something, someone, that shreds the world as she knows it, for the better. And as quickly as she receives that gift, it is taken from her. By a dominating masculine force, of course. And so she returns, by necessity, to the normal world she left behind, mourning the loss. While I'm sure we can all relate to that in some way, I have to imagine few people feel it as deeply or as often as members of the queer community. I think this piece captures that beautifully. And that wraps up back too, and brings our October episodes to a close. Dead North is produced by Sean and Mallory Dillon of Oncoming Productions, with assistance from Kyle Decker and Jacob Gulliver of Hot Chocolate Media. Our theme music is by Eric Ostrom. The rights to individual pieces presented are retained by their creators. Each episode of this podcast involves the creative and technical talents and efforts of a sizable number of people, including the performers and writers whose work you have just enjoyed. We want to pay these people because their work has value. We don't have ads or sponsors, so we need your support to do that. To support this podcast and its ability to compensate artists for their efforts, please visit oncomingproductions.com. Think of it as buying a season ticket for this dark little theater for your ears. And if you are interested in sponsoring Dead North, we would love to hear from you. In the meantime, this is your host, Sean Dillon, signing off. Happy Halloween. And stay safe out there.